Our text today is in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. If you'll turn with me there. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, it's page 1785. So as we continue this study, as Paul continues this study, on the blessed afterlife, talking about heaven, this text will open some of that to us. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 1, I'll be reading through verse 5. It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one, I will boast. Yet of myself, I will not boast, except in my infirmities. Dear Lord, I thank you for... um, the Apostle Paul and the humility um, that he expresses with boldness um, as an example to us. And God, I thank you that you revealed things to him. And I pray, Lord, and I know that you have revealed things to Pastor Paul, who comes to uh, to open this passage to us. And God, I just pray that you would give him um, great clarity of thought and clarity of words. I pray that you would give him passion for us to look to the uh, afterlife. And, um, and Lord, that you would teach us today that your spirit would be a mighty teacher and that Paul would speak words, not just words of encouragement, but your words, Lord, to our very hearts. So use him for your glory. And give us ears to hear and hearts to receive what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I forgot my normal glasses. I'm wearing uh, the glasses that I normally wear in the office today. So if I look a bit stranger because of that. So this is the second sermon in a series. And I really, you know, the more I think about this, the more I wonder how long the series is going to be. I was thinking at first, doing maybe four messages. Now I'm not sure that I can do it in four. I think that I'll probably have to do it in um, six or eight. So I hope you're all right with that. But I want to deal with the the subject properly of uh, the afterlife, the afterlife of the blessed, the afterlife of those who trust in Jesus and what God has in store for them by his grace. Last week, we looked at the three phases, as I called it, or stages, of glory, of heaven, or or not just heaven, but the kingdom, and of the new heavens and the new earth. We kind of had a quick look through all of those different subjects. We will deal with each one as they come up, 
in the next few weeks. Now, what we're doing today is we're doing heaven itself because, as we saw last week, that's where Paul had a desire to depart to. And uh, if your spiritual head is on right, that's where you have a desire to depart to as well. Unless the Lord returns and the Lord sets up his kingdom here on earth. But what about heaven? There are books that have been written about heaven, but most of them are filled with details that actually the Bible does not furnish. That might surprise you, but the Bible doesn't say an awful lot about heaven. It does talk about heaven as being a place that's real. The abode of God, the abode of the blessed, the abode of those that go on ahead of us. And so we know that it's there, and we know that it's a wonderful place, and yet we don't know an awful lot more. And what uh, we do know, I'm going to bring to you this morning, and maybe add a few things in next week. But the very fact that I can cover it, or at least most of it, in one sermon tells you, I think, that God has uh, reserved a great deal for us to find out. Now, looking at the text that Steve read, he, uh, Paul is not the kind of per- person to, to uh, vaunt himself, to boast about things. And, uh, you know, he says in, in his words in verses 1 and 2, you can see that he really doesn't. He's not comfortable saying this because it's talking about himself. He doesn't want to talk about himself. He wants to talk about Jesus. But... It's necessary, he thinks, to deal with um, some of the things that God has dealt with him about and revealed to him in order for the people that he's writing to, the Corinthians, and also, of course, us, to understand where he's coming from. So, we're in chapter 12 of the epistle. He's coming to the end of the letter, and yet he wants to insert this part in it. And so he speaks about what he calls visions and revelations of the Lord, but he's speaking really about, about one here. And so he, look at the way he puts it, I always like this. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows. You see, he's kind of reluctant here, isn't he? And uh, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, and he's talking about himself here, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which it is not lawful for a man, and we might say a man here, in this world, to utter. Of such a one I will boast. That one's worth boasting about. That's worth saying something about. As far as, you know, he's, he's um, seen something, he's done something that other people haven't done. Yet of myself, right here and now, I will not boast except in my infirmities. He understands there is a great difference between heaven and earth. 
There's a great difference between the experiences of heaven and earth. There's a great difference between what we can expect of, of uh, earth and what we can expect in heaven. Such a huge difference, actually, that uh, he doesn't really tell us very much. And uh, we wish he'd have written another book, don't we? Third Corinthians. Okay, Third Corinthians or How I Met Jesus in Heaven. It would have been a bestseller and would still be on the bestsellers list. But he didn't. And that is informative. Notice that he does say that he didn't know whether he went there bodily or went there spiritually. In other words, that uh, God yanked his spirit out of his body and uh, took it to heaven. We're not sure. He wasn't sure. But there is a possibility that he went there bodily. And if he went there bodily, and there's no problem in going there bodily because Jesus is up there bodily, isn't he? What does that tell us about heaven? It's a physical place. It's a real place. Now, that might be a challenge to you and your cosmology. That might be a challenge to you and your idea of the universe and Earth's place in its universe. I don't want to get into that. Some of you know my views on that. I think modern cosmology is about as reliable as a theory of evolution. And it's there for the same reason, to make God you know, irrelevant. But there is the fact of the matter is he went there and heaven is a physical place. It's a real place. It's not an ethereal place. It's not a place of clouds and so on. Otherwise, you know, Jesus would have to be hovering up there, wouldn't he? all the time. And Paul, if he was up there bodily, he'd have to be hovering up there as well. Okay, otherwise he'd fall through the clouds and, you know, that wouldn't be a very comfortable landing. So, obviously, heaven's a real, a physical place. Notice here, this is my first point, that Paul says numerous times, actually, that he's caught This is where you come in. Up. He's caught up. Okay? Now, up's there. Okay? Forget Einstein. Up's there, okay? And everywhere where you're uh, informed about this, heaven is up and hell is down. We're not talking about hell in this series of sermons. Okay? Well, maybe cover a series of sermons that speak about hell, but hell is down. Heaven is up. And he was caught up. Jesus, when he ascended, which means to go up, into heaven, he went up. In fact, if you look at Acts chapter 1 and verses 9 through 11, and the ascension passage there, you'll see that this is repeated in that, in that passage. Acts chapter 1, verse 9. Now when he had spoken these things, that's Jesus, while they watched, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. Well, if it was a cloud, clouds tend to be up there, okay? 
And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. That means heaven is up. Okay, heaven's up. Now, whatever you make of that, whether you think it's in a different realm or whatever, I don't know. I, I, we don't have that revelation. But you're taken up. Even the rapture passages, which some of you might be familiar with, like the First Thessalonians 4 passage, where we're caught up, okay, to meet the Lord in the air. Well, why are we going in the air if heaven's not up there? Okay, what's the point of that? Because it's up, that's why. So the first thing we have to realize is that heaven is a location and heaven is up. We also know from the book of uh, Revelation at the end there, and we'll study this, that New Jerusalem comes down, out of heaven, which means heaven's up. So do we understand that? Okay? We understand that. You're not going to be whisked um, into some kind of um, relativistic era or area. You're going to go up. Moving on from that, Paul calls it a certain name. He doesn't actually, well, he calls it the third heaven in verse 2. But he talks about it in verse uh, 4. And I should have said verse 4 there. I don't know why I put 3. As paradise. Paradise. Now, paradise, that is an, an old loan word. It was brought into the Greek language from the Persians. And the Persians used this idea of a paradise for a garden of one of their rulers. The rulers would have these extravagant gardens and or parks and they would use that term paradise now it was obviously a very beautiful park they would bring all kinds of different animals and all kinds of different plants from all over the place to make this the most beautiful and placid and peaceful place that they could make it and it was made even more so because of you know where it was it was had to be specially watered and so on because of the you know, the way that the um, Middle East is. They have brought this over to other places. England's well known for its great baronial homes and its great gardens, yes? And those gardens are really something to behold. They're just extraordinary things. And uh, for those of you that are, you know, green-thumbed and so on, I mean... You would just lose yourself in these places. They're extraordinary. For those of us like me that just even have to look at a plant and it wilts, they're still, you know, an amazing place. I mean, they take so much work, so much planning, so much detail to, to convey beauty and peace and rest. And so the idea of a park 
was involved in the idea of paradise. And that was brought in to the Greek language and just taken on board by uh, the writers of the New Testament. I mean, it was a great word for that. And what they meant by it was what we generally mean by it when we say paradise. In fact, let's have a little bit of audience participation time. We don't normally do this. But when I... When you think of paradise, what do you think of? Give me a couple of words. What? What? Islands? I, I knew, I should have said audience participation time in, apart from Steve. Okay. Somebody else. Yeah, I mean, you can have islands, but go on. Perfect temperature. Yes, that's right. Yes, something else. Beautiful garden, yes? Lush, that is a good one, actually, yes. Watered. Flawless. Trees and, come on, a few more. Yeah, you got the idea, okay? So, when we talk about paradise, when we think about it, what we don't think about is a whole lot of noise and strife and distress because they were built to combat that, to present another world, as it were, that the ruler with this great park, this great garden, could walk out from, after talking about the next war he was planning and so on, he could walk out into this paradise... And he could lose himself there. He could find himself, as it were, at peace there. That's what paradise was for. And that's what Paul saw. That's what he heard. That's the environment that God graciously caught him up to. That is the place that the thief on the cross was caught up to. Today you will be with me in paradise. That's a far uh, contrast from where he was on the cross. That's where your loved ones, if they knew the Lord, that's where they are. That's where they've gone. That's where they are now. So they don't want to come back. They are at peace, peace that surpasses all of our understanding, though. Peace that cannot be described by the greatest of poets. A peace that can't be envisaged by our language, which I will come to in a second. And a peace that can't be painted by our greatest painters, although they can evoke it somewhat. That's paradise. It's a real place. It exists right now. It's real. In fact, it's more real, I would say. If you would, you understand this, it can't be more real, but it, in a, there's a greater experience of reality there than there is here. I've said before, you know, C.S. Lewis is helpful here in his last battle because he tries to depict a greater reality in some of his works and the last battle and also in the the great divorce he speaks about this 
as an experience of something that's more real than our experience here. So at the end of the last battle, they go in to uh, Narnia, but they go in, and I can't remember what the words are, maybe somebody can help me, uh, greater and deeper or something like that. What was it? Onward and upward or something. Yes, that's right, thanks. I knew my wife would know. So... Um, same with, the, with the, the Great Divorce. If you haven't read The Great Divorce, you should read it. Okay? There, you have a busload of people who are taken from hell, as it were. It's, it's an imaginary thing. And they get out of the bus, and their feet start hurting because the grass is so hard. Everything is so more, much more vivid there, so they have to adjust their eyesight to it and so on. They... Uh, try to, to even put a foot in the water, but the water's too hard. It's too real for them. And the people that come to them, coming, the people from heaven, as it were, they're coming over the hills, they're very solid people. And yet they are not very solid at all. Why? What's, what's Lewis trying to convey? The reality surpassing reality of paradise. And I think he's right. I think he's right. Jesus had to, when he descended, he couldn't come down in his glory. (laughs) Down here, what on earth? I mean, he wouldn't fit in at all. Okay, he'd lean against a building and it'd fall down. I mean, it would, it was, it's different in its weight, in its, in its, uh, its power, in its expressions, in its colors and sounds. And so, yeah, we have a reality here. It's a created reality. It has its own integrity, but it, it is not as wonderful in its intensity as paradise is. Paul got caught up there. And he heard, verse 4, inexpressible words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Notice, he heard, not saw. Why on earth, this is what I'm going to ask him, okay? You saw paradise, why on earth didn't you tell us what you saw? Why pay attention to what you heard, especially when what you heard you couldn't tell us? Isn't that interesting? I don't have an answer for it, but it's an interesting question, is it not? Maybe, and I think actually it's true, because this is why there's a a kind of a dearth of, of descriptions about heaven in the whole of the Bible. It's just not something that God wants disclosed down here. And maybe it's because Whenever, if we try to disclose it, if we try to talk about it with our language, with our uh, references that we could use, we just couldn't do it. So what's the point in doing a description when you don't have the words to describe it? And when people don't have the imaginations to comprehend it? I think that's more 
what we're dealing with here when we're talking about the shortage of information about heaven. It's there, it's real, it's wonderful beyond description. And that means every single part of it, what it looks like, what it feels like, is beyond our comprehension. And yet Paul here says, he's caught up there and he heard words, but inexpressible words. Words, as it were, not lawful or not I, I use the word fit here because it's the words that he heard up there don't fit down here. And therefore not lawful for a man to utter. And this is something I, I find interesting even though I don't have, um, I only have a partial things to tell you about what this might mean. But in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, It says this, it says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. That's good advice. Now, true, surely, sorry, paradise, heaven is full of these things. But again, they are these things magnified to such a degree that they're too heavy for our experience and for our imaginations, for our minds to comprehend. We have minds that are in and of themselves wonders of God's creation. But they're minds for a fallen world. These are eyes for a fallen world, ears for a fallen world, and they get more fallen every year. What about for paradise? Maybe, in fact, I'm sure it is the case, that our eyes, our ears, our senses, our thinking, our reasoning, are changed. They have to be changed in order to take in the paradise that God has for us. And please understand that paradise is part of creation. Heaven is created just as this world is, which means it's created for us. God had it, had us in mind when he made heaven. I wonder what it's like. I don't know because there's no description here. There's a big letdown. We have a report of inexpressible words, words that it's not lawful for a man to utter. Words convey thought. You can't think without words, which maybe says something about modern society. But you you need words in order to think. So be careful of the words that you read, the words that you hear, 
Be careful of the words you use. You need words that fit, that do the job, that convey meaning to us. So words are are necessary in order to put thoughts together. And the words that Paul heard are fit for heaven. But they don't fit here. The thoughts, therefore, of heaven, the thinking that there goes on in heaven, oh, it's thinking, it's reasonable, it's always logical and so on, but it is of such a magnitude and degree that it does not fit here. What we call thinking down here pales in comparison with the thinking that goes on up there. And so Paul was told, don't sully what you've heard by bringing it down and trying to report it down there. It doesn't fit. What we have to do here and all that we can do is uh, follow Paul's advice in Philippians 4. And to think on those noble things and those lovely things and those virtuous things. And that will help our minds to be the minds that God wants them to be. But we need a radical transformation of our minds if we are to experience heaven. We think about, and of course it's our experience, that that uh, as people die... The body is ailing and it decays and uh, they are buried or their body is buried or maybe it's uh, burned up, whatever. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, either way. And uh, we think of in terms of decay, therefore, don't we? But what is Paul conveying here he's conveying that those who have gone before us into heaven yeah their bodies may have decayed but they themselves they've not decayed at all in fact they have expanded in every way their experience everything is more wonderful more real more vibrant more peaceful, more glorious. And we can at least arrive there if we don't have pictures and we don't have words any more than what we have in the Bible. Which leads us to the fourth thing, why no description? You say, well, hold on a minute. I've read the book of Revelation. I've read about the streets of gold and so on. Yeah, that's the new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven. It's not heaven itself. So we don't have a description of heaven. I'm sorry. All we know that it's not is that it's not a place surrounded with clouds and overcrowded with harps.
But why no description? Because although we are to be heavenly minded, although we are to, um, in the words of Paul in Colossians 3, we are to set our affections on things above, we are still here. And we have to deal with life here and experience here and faith and dependence here. This is our reality right now. These are where the moments of our lives uh, are piled up one after another until we get there. So there's no words. I'm sorry. But hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Haven't I forgotten something? Haven't I forgotten all of the books that there are? The bestsellers. You know, the people who've gone to heaven and they've come back. And they've told us all about it. Some of them are not even Christians, do you know? And some of them, uh, Archiana, I think her name is, not a Christian, Claims to have painted a portrait of Jesus and heaven too. What about all of that? I'll tell you what about all of that. Rubbish. Nonsense. Do you honestly think that God would prohibit an apostle from saying anything and describing anything about heaven, but he would tell somebody who wants to, you know, be on a bestsellers list, who's not even a Christian and not even going there. No, come on. Did they see something? I think they probably did see something, yes. I'm not calling them complete liars, although some of them have actually confessed that they didn't see anything. But people like Eben Alexander and other people like that, I, uh, I'm not saying that he was lying. I just think that he's deceived. He's deceived. Satan's a big deceiver. And so that's what I do with all of those books. I uh, was looking around earlier in the week about uh, YouTube. YouTube is, of course, full of all kinds of foolishness. And um, there is one guy who said, I met Jesus and he's cool. (laughs) Why didn't Paul write that? I mean, come on. (laughs) Wouldn't it be great to know that he's cool? No. There's no description because it's too wonderful. It's too glorious. It's too different. It's too peaceful. It's a paradise. It's a place of diversion. It's a place that we go away from stress and leave it behind. But heaven is a, is only a paradise. There isn't any business to get back to that's going to stress you out. There's no uh, invitation or no, um, sorry, there is no urgency to come out of it, to get to the things that cause stress and pain and anxiety and anger and all of the rest of it. No, 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 no. 
There isn't anywhere else to go to. This is the place of peace and rest. It's not an annex to anything else. It is what it is. This was the apostles' story of being caught up to heaven. Since that time, millions of believers have joined him. And we will too. We will too one day. So in conclusion, we're going to have to wait and see. But we will see. We will hear. We'll be there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that pray that we'd keep these words of Paul in mind. It's enough for us to know that heaven is real and you've created it for us and because you are glorious beyond compare, what you've made for us, what you've made for the saints, where you dwell, must indeed be beyond all description. Help us to hang on to that as we go through our lives here. That we're strangers and pilgrims in this life and we're on our way. On our way as citizens of heaven. And we thank you for the grace, inexpressible grace, that has made this place for us. In Jesus' name, amen.